In the era of big league sports, how does the Canadian Football League compete against all the other options out there for fans? It's something surely on the mind of CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi as the league is set to kick off the 2023 season with teams looking to improve on attendance and gain new fans. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Postmedia National Sports columnist Scott Stinson joins me to discuss the overall shape of the league, why it struggles in some markets, and whether expansion plans will come to fruition. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about the show. So Scott, the CFL kicks off its 2023 season this week, and it feels like, in a way, it's kind of make or break it for the league. You know, we're coming out of the COVID years, things were kind of sluggish, some markets have seen a downturn in attendance, but heading into this season, what what is the state of the league? Well, I think, I think Dave, you, you sort of hit on it. Um, you know, the, obviously the 2020 season was canceled due to COVID and then the following season was shortened and there were, there wasn't a lot in the way of attendance, you know, there was restrictions and all that stuff. And then last year was more of a normal season, but it was still, they were still catching the end of, of a lot of covid measures and there was a ton you know health and safety protocols and lots of meetings about whether games would have to be canceled and what happens if you had outbreaks and and so now here we are in 2023 and it really feels like the first time in basically three full seasons that while covid is still out there it's not really a concern for the league anymore in terms of whether they think it's going to lead to cancellations, whether it would have any impact on attendance. So it really feels like this is the first time in a long time that they're, they're hitting the ground um, with a degree of optimism at the start of a season. And they are hoping that they, you know, turn that into, into success, not just in the markets where, where the CFL has been successful for a long time, but in some of the markets where it has struggled. Yeah, and and you know, in in your recent reporting on the league kickoff, you you started off with a little anecdote about the Toronto Argonauts season setup, which, if we're being charitable, was as sparsely attended as its home games. What is the struggle like in Toronto and and other large markets like Montreal and Vancouver? You'd think that a city of their size would have a reasonable opportunity to have some kind of fan base. Yeah, this is the the strangest. Um, and kind of most impenetrable mystery of the CFL, which is that you have cities the size of a Toronto or a Montreal or a Vancouver. Um, and well, I'll just use Toronto as an example. They averaged a little over 12,000 fans per game last season at BMO Field. Um, this is in a, you know an area of five-something million, depending on how large you want to draw the circle. So it is kind of crazy that, you know, like 12,000 people is just not very many. And and you can get easily twice that to a, to a Toronto FC soccer game at the same stadium at the same time of year. Um, obviously, much larger crowds for Blue Jays games and, and the Leafs and the Raptors tend to sell out. And, and so... It is a it is a strange thing that that the big urban centers, which have the largest population bases, tend to not be able to draw the fans of, of a much smaller place like a Saskatchewan, obviously, or, or Winnipeg, or an Edmonton or Calgary. So, yeah, look, it's 
it continues to be a problem. Um, just speaking strictly from the Argo perspective, they won the Grey Cup last year. This is not the first time in recent years that they have kind of won the Grey Cup in what seems like almost by accident. Um, you know, the season kind of comes along. No one's really paying attention to the Argos. And then, boom, they're in the East Final. And then they're in the Grey Cup. And then they're sort of celebrating it. And, and the city hasn't even really noticed until the very end. And in some cases haven't. And also, of course, Montreal, the Alouettes were bought by the league for the second time in a few years when an owner decided they didn't want to own the Alouettes anymore. And then there was a sale and and now they have new ownership there in Pierre Carpelado. So just those two cities as an example, you know, big markets, uh, lots of people, different types of problems, but Attendance is obviously not great in Toronto, and it's never a good sign when you're seeing when your team is taken over by the league, as has now happened twice in Montreal. Mm-hmm. What about the health of these kind of? I guess they're mid market. We'd like to think of ourselves as big cities, but your Edmonton Elks, <laughs> your Calgary Stampeders, your Hamilton Tiger Cats, your Ottawa Red Blacks. Like heading into this season, what's the feeling in some of these kind of these mid sized big cities about you know the league, the team, and what this season may hold? I think those markets tend to be much more like it depends a little bit on the success of the team. Um, I think Edmonton's an example where they've had some lean years, so the crowds hasn't been as good as they might have been uh, even in the recent past. Um, we saw attendance drop off a little in Ottawa last year, but I mean that team was, I think, 4-14, four and 14, so you can't really be surprised if attendance kind of drops off over the course of the season when you're losing that many more games than you're winning. I think all the all those markets are a little bit contingent on success, but they're also like there's there's a baseline of success that's established and and do they you know make money hand over fist? Probably not. But are they turning a modest profit? They're probably pretty close to that, or at least close enough that it that it's not you know been a crisis and. Um, then obviously the, the really healthy, successful franchises in in Winnipeg and Saskatchewan in particular. But I, I it, it kind of has felt like for a number of years, like there are the few franchises that are rock solid. Everybody in the city loves them. There's a broader band of, as you say, the mid market teams that fluctuate a little depending on the success of the teams. And then there's the big urban cities, which the three of them, which have had challenges in recent years and. I didn't really mention Vancouver when we talked about the previous question, but Vancouver has new ownership and last year had a bit of a resurgence with a Canadian quarterback, you know, setting all kinds of records. And then unfortunately for them, that quarterback, Nathan Rourke, took a job in the NFL. So we will see whether the resurgence in in BC is there to stay. Um, Lots of people seem to think it, it might be, you know, that they've, they've had some success with season ticket sales it might not just be a one and done, but I think we have to kind of wait and see because they, you know, until fairly recently had a lot of the same challenges that the Montreal's and Toronto's were having in terms of lots of other entertainment options, you know, a younger generation that hasn't really embraced the CFL in the way their parents did and and all that sort of combining to make the, the Lions not the hot ticket they might have once been. So maybe they'll turn around, maybe it'll be a hot ticket again. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned a potential issue there that I think some wasn't an issue maybe when I was younger, maybe when you were younger. The the notion that the league didn't necessarily have to compete 
with other sports. I mean, yeah, there was hockey and there's that overlap in the CFL playoffs overlap with the start of the, the regular season. And the NFL has always been a thing, but it feels like in the last 30 years, the NFL has become that much larger a sport in Canada. And there's basketball, there's pro soccer clubs in, in Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal that compete for attention. And, and so how does a league compete for relevance here? It's, you know, it's a bunch of factors, I think, and you've touched on some of them. Um, I, I, I don't think there's any doubt that there's greater competition for the sports, you know, the attention of the sports fan now than there was a few decades ago, but I'll just use Toronto as an example. I mean, that has also been true for quite a while. Um, you know, Toronto FC, the soccer team came into what would be seen as a crowded market. Um, the Jays were around, the Leafs, the Raptors. Um, the NFL, of course, is is popular. And for a period of time, the Buffalo Bills were playing games in Toronto. So there's there's lots of competition for eyeballs. Um, now you've got esports and those kind of things, too. And like, I guess what I'm saying is there was plenty of competition for Toronto FC when they launched and they managed to find a niche and, and become a pretty successful business product um, outside of their success on the field, which which they have had in spurts as well. So I don't think it's quite as simple as, well, you know, there's too much competition in the big cities because, you know, other things can be successful. The the Whitecaps and, and FC Montreal have also had success in crowded markets. So I think it's partly that, but there's also, and I sort of touched on this, I think there's a real generational challenge for the CFL. This isn't, I'm not breaking any new ground, I'm not telling you anything that the CFL wouldn't admit in their more honest moments, but it does tend to be a league of of people who are 50 and older in terms of the fandom. It's not to say there aren't young people, and certainly in the really popular markets like Saskatchewan, there's plenty, but in the, the kind of places where it's not really a hotbed, the struggle has just been how do you get that next generation of fans to be interested in a league that they haven't really cared about? You know, they didn't grow up as as Al's fans or Argo's fans. And how do we reach those people? And to be honest, um, they've been, you know, trying for a while now. Randy Ambrose, the commissioner, this is his sixth year on the job. And I'm not sure they have really the answer to that question. Um, they've, they've tried some different things in terms of, of branding the game differently and, and selling it in different ways and even trying to recruit players from overseas. But um, none of that so far has really been the magic bullet to, to get a younger generation interested in it. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that'll come down the road in some sort of different broadcasting arrangement if they go to more of a streaming thing i'm spitballing here but the 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 challenge is just getting people who traditionally haven't cared about something to care about something and it's it is proven to be very difficult to do with just you know wins and or losses on the field a a, a winning argos team which again i'll use an example just because i'm i'm based there uh, has not been a recipe to to suddenly get young people rushing to BMO Field to buy tickets. We'll be right back. So looking at ahead at this season from the perspective of 
Commissioner Ambrosi, like how does he see the state of the league or what does he see as, as you know, the opportunities for the CFL this season or the challenges for the league? The big thing that, that he points to, and it's a fair point, is that the ownership situation is as settled right now as it has been certainly in his time and probably for several previous commissioners before him in that, you know, for as long as I can remember, there's always been a team or two that, that had questions, you know, um, David Braley, the former owner of the owner of BC lions went through a period where he owned both the lions and the Argos. And he, he seemed to basically have bought the Argos as a favor. Um, he didn't particularly really seem to want to do much with them or spend a whole lot on them, but, but he at least was there to help them out when they needed an owner. Uh, I've mentioned the situation in, in Montreal, you know, we've had twice where the, they were essentially a ward of the state, which is not ideal. Um, and, and, and then when Mr. Braley, uh, before he, he passed away, uh, there was a period where, you know, the, the lions were up for sale and, he essentially had a selling price that nobody in the local market was willing to willing to meet. So the ownership has been uncertain. Of course, you know, Ottawa has a long history of problems. Hamilton was basically bought out of a bankruptcy kind of thing. So there's always been these issues. Now you have basically a group of nine owners who are either a wealthy businessman who, who can backstop a bit of money losses if things go sour for a year or two. Or you have giant corporations like Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment and, and you know, Pierre Carpellido, who is the new Owls owner, I believe has sort of bought them himself as opposed to through Quebecor, but he's a billionaire. So regardless of what the ownership structure is there, they're fine. So the fact that they all have this good ownership structure and, and no fires to put out on that front is, is obviously a good thing for the league in terms of going forward. You'd rather have that than the alternative. But those problems that I mentioned, you know, with the big cities, they're still there. And and Pelado can own the Owls now, but will he be able to turn them back into the kind of team that was getting more than 20,000 fans for a game at, at their, you know, McGill University Stadium um, quite routinely when they had their sort of renaissance in the Anthony Calvillo years? Like, we, we don't know. We have to see how that goes. Um, so Ambrosi's big thing is, look, we've got the ownership here now and, and we're poised to have a great season and he might be right on that front. Um, but they do still have those challenges remaining in terms of, of reaching out to certain markets. Yeah. And I, you mentioned earlier there, there was at, at one time a push to grow the awareness of the league outside of Canada and they tried to recruit players from Europe Mexico, and it, it appears that they've backed off on that a bit. Is the league's next, you know, push or or attempt to grow the game looking more internally at Canada and maybe smaller markets? Could we finally see a 10th team, an 11th team, a 12th team? Like, are there places like Halifax or Victoria or even Saskatoon uh, that want to see a team that, that could show a chance to grow the league in Canada? Yeah, you know, I, I want to address the, the Europe thing first because it's, I think, part of the same question, which is there was, it was called CFL 2.0 and, and Ambrosi hatched it around 2016, 17, something like that. And his big thing was we're going to recruit players from far off lands. Uh, we're going to be the, he would say, the biggest global football league in the world, which always made 
my eyes roll anyway, um, when it's a world that includes the National Football League. But um, he would say this, and the idea was we're going to get these people and then other countries will then be interested in the CFL because we'll have, you know, somebody from Mexico who's playing or Sweden or Japan or England or wherever. It always seemed like a bit of a, (laughs) I'll just say it, it seemed like a bit of a crazy plan uh, to me because, you know, to, in order to attract interest from like broadcasters in Mexico, you'd have to have quite a few Mexicans playing in the CFL and, and what we have seen in the years since this program was launched was, sure, there's a few players that get drafted from countries all over the world, um, but none of them play much. They tend to play on special teams, if that. Um, it, it's They're just not making an impact on the game in a way that's going to cause, you know, Germany to suddenly be interested in paying money for, for the Canadian Football League, which I think was sort of how they hoped it would happen. Um, Ambrosi seems to have come to the realization that if this plan is going to bear fruit, it's probably going to happen, you know, years down the road. Maybe four more global drafts from now, they strike gold in terms of some random European, and it, it draws interest. They haven't given up on it. You know, the, the plan still exists. But it seems noticeable to me that don't, he doesn't really talk about it anymore, where it was once all that he talked about. So so now getting to your next question, Dave, was, was about expansion. And that is the thing that he is now talking about. And it is, yes, we are going back to Halifax for another regular season game this year between the Argos and the Rough Riders. They are really hoping that they can get some sort of interest from someone, either an owner, a potential owner or a government in terms of trying to make a a team, a 10th team in Halifax a reality. And if it doesn't happen, he's willing to look elsewhere. You know, you mentioned a bunch of cities, um, whether it's Quebec City or London, Ontario or Saskatoon. He, he, Ambrosi, I'm speaking about now, has this idea of not only will they have 10 teams, but they could have an 11th and a 12th team. And obviously the appeal of that is if you can't grow your league in the markets where it's been a struggle to grow it, you know, the Toronto's and the Montreal's, then you could grow it by just making it bigger in other places and having more teams that are a bit more, you know, have more of a natural fan base. Um, You get sort of a Saskatchewan effect where it is the only professional you know, big time professional team in town, maybe it's a huge hit. And if, if the league grows that way, then it's found new revenues that so far in the Ambrosi era, it's been unable to find. So that's his hope. Now, I imagine your next question might be, do I think that's realistic? <laughs> what well, I mean, is that a real, is that a realistic question? Like the, the thing that I wonder about is, okay, so if you bring in these these teams to these smaller markets, do you expect them to fill the 25,000 seat stadium or does success in the future for the CFL look different? Do you scale back the expectations to the Canadian Premier League soccer type expectations in smaller markets or the Canadian Elite Basketball League, which has smaller venues in some of their markets? I think to a certain extent, you kind you almost have to have bigger than, you know, a 5,000 seat stadium. Um, 
be just because this like the size of the field is is such that you you need a bit of fans around it. It doesn't have to be forty thousand seats uh, for sure. His his hope and and the way he positions it, and I don't know enough about stadium construction to to say whether this is has any basics in logic, but his belief is that nowadays you could you could build sort of a what what he calls a quote like a temporary permanent uh, stadium, which is you could have a football field, you put. 20,000 seats around it with some combination of a permanent stand and temporary bleachers. It doesn't cost very much to build. You, you know, you're talking, I don't know, it's in the tens of millions as opposed to the hundreds of millions. And you build that structure and you start playing games and then all the fans come and they love their new CFL team. And that would prove to whether it's an owner or a government or some combination of the two okay, you can commit your $200 million for a real stadium now because we've proven the viability of this market for the CFL. That is, you will notice, kind of the exact backwards way that these things normally happen. Usually you have to build a stadium and then you get the franchise. Um, So he's kind of proposing going about it the other way. (laughs) Like Much like the CFL 2.0 thing, when he pitches it to you, you're like, hmm, okay, like, I guess maybe that would work. But it's, it, it you know, you sort of have to kind of see whether he can actually pull that off. Uh, I find myself, like, deeply skeptical of the idea that you could build a team around a, a basically temporary bleachers-type stadium and have that be successful enough that you would then turn around and be like, okay time to build a real stadium now like that just seems uh like wishful thinking um but maybe the you know the economics of it have changed enough around that he's he spied an opportunity that the rest of the sports world hasn't quite cottoned on to yet um i do think you know so you sort of touched on the idea of could you have a cebl uh or cpl type number of ticket sales to justify an sorry a cfl team i i gotta think that the finances don't support that um you know they are ultimately paying these guys that you know not nearly what they would make in the national football league but you have to make you have to pay them enough that you can lure them away from the usfl and the xfl and and even the chance to just stay on an nfl practice roster like uh, football is a tough sport and it's a obviously kind of chews up players and spits them out a little. And I don't think you'd be able to have a situation where, where the income from your, your game day events is pretty small, you know, like a 5,000 seat stadium kind of thing and still be able to justify the salaries that you'd be paying these players. So, and especially when you have other stadiums in the league that, that have, 10 times that number of fans i just i'm just not sure that's feasible so we shall see yeah i mean i guess we'll and we'll see how the the season goes this year we'll see if some of the teams who have struggled in terms of attendance can turn it around put a a better product on the field uh scott thanks for your time okay thanks dave 10-3 is produced by tyler dawson theme music by bryce hall thanks to my guest scott stinson more from him at nationalpost.com i'm dave breakenridge thanks for listening (laughs) 